On this week's episode of the Native Immigrants Podcast, we talk about women empowerment. Are men doing enough to support their women achieve greatness and be the best version of themselves? And if not, what's holding them back? The Native Immigrants are in the building. Hit the music. Salutations and welcome to another episode of the Native Immigrants Podcast. I'm your host, Swami Barakas, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Jojo underscore B. What's going on, Jojo B? Hi. Do you think we should change that intro now? What, because you say the same thing every week? Yeah. Maybe. Do you think, people, do you think it's becoming too stale? Call me fabulous and amazing and the best person ever right. that you could ever co-host with. I did used to call you the esteemed Jojo B. Maybe we need to bring that back again. I quite like esteemed, yes. We need, you need to do stuff that's going to, you know, establish that reputation for me to call you esteemed, to be fair. I mean, my very existence does plenty for that, I think. This melancholic existence. Melancholic? There's nothing wrong with my life. <laughs> oh. It's a happy, happy life. You bring joy to everyone that you come across, Jojo B. I'm like sunshine. Right. Rain on my life. No, uh, you just have your little grey cloud that follows you around everywhere. It's a bit like a you daf- just live un- like under that grey cloud. The Daffy Duck cartoons back in the day. You know when like he used to just have that little thing ab- above him, and then bugs yeah. would be like. And I'm the sunshine that tries to tries to shine through that grey cloud, but <laughs> right <laughs> <laughs> on that on that weird imagery note. Um, so what's been happening, Jojo B? What well, Jojo B? You were on radio without me. I was. This is like throwing uh, a non-swimmer into the the deep end of a swimming pool. And hopefully they don't drown themselves initially and stuff and find a way to start keeping themselves afloat. I didn't drown. I thought I did quite well. I think you did very well. You started off doing your uh, little, you know, that radio voice, which I, you know, always bang on at you about. I don't have a radio voice. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> what do you mean? Whatever do you mean? <laughs> One does not work in media anymore. <laughs> I go into the... I don't have one, but I kind of do. But I can't help it. But you kind of you did get better over the course of the show. Um, you He's know, so fucking patronising, isn't he? You know, like listening to you was almost like the master listening to the pad one tentatively listening in making sure that everything's okay because you are a reflection on this show you're representing the native immigrants podcast so you've got to make sure that i get the best possible jojo b out there you think a lot of yourself don't you the master and i'm the padawan it's you know what i've i've and i'm representing this show you are representing this show screwed i know i am it doesn't i'm not an absolute moron oh well in that case jojo v how come you didn't mention our show once in the whole time you were there because it wasn't the time or place (laughs) so you were talking about (laughs) you were talking about things that forced marriages you you were talking about like all the different things that we've spoke about and numerous episodes of our show and you didn't say in an episode of native women's podcast when we spoke about this we mentioned dot 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 but no you showed us no love yeah but the other people who were there who came from other different walks of life didn't mention what they do either 
Yeah, well, I'm not talking about the other. They're not on this podcast. Okay, fine. I'm not as media trained as you. Fuck's sake. I never usually have anything to sell when I talk on radio. You were you were the uh, drive time host for so long on the yeah, Steam and Spice I didn't FM. have anything to sell other than listen to you know Spice FM, which you're already doing if they were listening to me. Anyway, uh, that was a platform for Jojo B to get her voice across and uh, touch on some you know quite touchy subjects. Uh, what what were some of the subjects you spoke about, Jojo B? So we spoke about teenage pregnancy and the Asian attitude towards that, the oh, Asian yes. community's attitude towards that, which is the same I think as any at- community's attitude of teenage child, please don't get pregnant, just don't do it because it's. I don't want to be a grandma at 32. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I thought that was kind of like, I don't think that's just an Asian thing. I think that's just an everybody thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, what else did we talk about? We talked about how boys are treated like little princes. Oh, uh, yes. Versus girls in a household. So uh, on this subject, you actually, this is something, you didn't speak enough about our podcast. I spoke no lies. This is what I'm going to say. But she did mention the fact that her husband is is a prince, has always been treated like a prince and always continued to be one because I was spoilt. Yeah, like your other two brothers as well. I, they're not here to defend themselves, but I am here to defend myself. Okay, you know, I actually even tweeted in on the show. That yeah, because he couldn't let me have my five minutes to myself. Yeah, in fact, he <laughs> had to have his name mentioned and he had to say something. If anything, I was actually the last thing that was said on that show. And your husband's just tweeted in. So if anything, you're welcome, Jojo B. I gave you a, you know, a nice little... This is my life. This is what I have to live with. Um, you said that in written... the shadow. Oh, you're not my shadow. You cast a massive shadow over my life. Well, good about my life. Um, you know, I, I would put my hands up and be like, fair enough. I do agree on some elements of that. Yes, fair enough. I was a spoiled child. And, you and know, a spoiled man as well. What are you about? Excuse me? Yeah, you were. Bruv, you know I do half of all the chores in this Yeah, front. now you do. Now you're married to me. No, but I was always, I was getting into training before I got married and stuff. And, and No, you know, no, you weren't. Your poor mum, is all I have to say. Then blame mum. Blame mum. I can blame mum for that. You know, mom yeah, because she didn't let you do anything. Well, exactly. See, that's what I mean. So I'm just a product of my environment. You so know? this is why boys are treated like princes and girls. So if your mum had had a daughter, she would have been expected to help, which is exactly the, what happened in my family. Although my brother, di- I did say my brother did used to help out because we ran a shop. Yep. And so Sundays when my mum and dad were in the shop, me and my brother did the full house clean. That was our responsibility as the children of the household. Yeah. We had to get that done. And if it wasn't done to my mom's standards, we heard about it when she got home. Yeah. She was not pleased. So he did do his bit. Well, that's... But, as I said in the show... Well, should I let you just listen to the show? Yeah, actually, this is listen what... Back. This is what I wanted to say at the outset of the show. The show is still available on iPlayer. It was from last Thursday, uh, the BBC Asian Network's Big Debate. And obviously, Jojo B was part of a ladies' panel. Uh, big up Sheena, who we also know. That and was also... Nikki, the tattooist. Yeah, absolutely. It was a good, like, diverse range of three different women speaking about these subjects. And you can listen back on uh, BBC Asian Network. And yes, I'll, I'll tweet the link. I haven't, I haven't really pushed the link You've so done far. No well, social media. We've had media. a busy weekend with family weddings and family like family injuries. Take over. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that have caused drama. So what, what happened on Saturday, Jojo B? 
my poor daddy fell down. He did, bless him. And um, he like he's he's kind of chipped at the bone of his ankle, and he's got like massive swollen, bruised hand from when he fell, and he banged his face, and you know, and it breaks my heart. Like I feel, I don't, I can't explain the feeling that I get inside when I see my parents suffering in any way. Yeah, and to see my dad with a black eye and and stuff, I just, oh, it was horrible, and I wasn't there. I wasn't there to help him because we were on our way to Derby for this wedding and my dad was already in Derby when this happened. It looked like he'd been mugged or something. It was yeah, horrible. Yeah, it was really, really horrific. Um, but because of that, uh, yours truly was driving up and down Derby, various different A&Es, uh, A&E hospitals. Well, because we tried to like beat the queues by going to a place out just outside of Derby and then realised that they don't do a weekend x-ray. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then we had to go back to Derby and just sit in the A&E. Thanks for the heads up, Derby. But he's okay. Yeah, touch wood. He's absolutely fine. He's on the mend. He's a bit grumpy um, today when I spoke to him. Oh, was he? Yeah. That's because he because of that, he basically missed out on the entire wedding and the reception. So he didn't get a chance to see all of his fe- fellow drunk was, friends. Yeah, and it was one of his best friend's daughters who was getting married. Well, there you go. But also, he's just grumpy because he can't move and it hurts a lot now. So yeah, well, As long as he rests up. Because, you know, the, only, the thing with Asian parents is they literally don't listen to a single word you say. So if you tell them, rest up for four weeks, don't move, don't do anything, just stay there, stay put and take it easy. That He'll just go off on like a jog tomorrow. Well, yes. I think there's a whole show in this. Parents not listening to their children. Okay, that's going to be a future <laughs> show, everyone. And also another one. Like the reality of your parents becoming frail and old. Oh man, that's quite sad. I know, but it's one that we should cover because genuinely it's... What are you going to bring it down for, Jojo B? I'm not bringing it down, but you know, as people of a certain age now, our parents are, you know, getting older and it's it's something we have to come to terms with, the fact that they're old. Damn. So that's another show, I think. Yeah, that's, uh, you know, that one you might need to bring out the handkerchiefs and get your tissues at the ready because that's going to be a very sad, sad show. But the first one will be them not listening to us and doing everything they can do to shorten their lives as much as possible. Yeah, we'll balance it out accordingly. Yeah. Um, what else has been happening? We've got a new review, Jojo have B. We? we have indeed. It's been a little while, you know. Yeah, and um, Who I is did... it? What do they say? All right, steady on, fam. Hurry up. Um... You know, so I did say on last week's show that, you know, we haven't had a review in a little while. So all our loyal listeners, if you're out there listening, and you haven't sent us a review or a rating on iTunes, do so. so shame we can on sh- you. Shame on you. Exactly. <laughs> you know, um, you know, because we have to keep this place afloat somehow and stop the man from shutting us down. You know, so uh, we got a new review in this week. You know, our, our pleas were heard. Um, and this is from uh, Mrs. PJ, who said, Brilliant. I've been catching up and have now started listening weekly. I'm pretty sure I've been following you both for years on social media. And this podcast is great to get to know you both a little bit better. Lots of topics about really relevant stuff. And I'm always laughing to myself while listening on my commute home. Thanks, guys. Keep them coming. Amazing. Thanks, Mrs. PJ. Thank you so much, Mrs. PJ. Thank you for listening in weekly. Um, And, you know, like, like I said, this show is available for catch up. There's been like a whole bunch of episodes if you haven't listened to them already they're all available now on itunes on soundcloud on numerous other podcast platforms so get listening you know like mrs pj send us a review send us a rating tell us how much you enjoy the show and um interact with us you know let us know your experiences and the subjects that we touch download listen to it on your way to your lovely holiday your summer holiday that's no doubt coming up yeah sometime soon you know get to know us Bring us on your holiday with you. Take us, take us on holiday. 
Yeah. Literally take us on holiday with you is what we're trying to say. So speaking of listening to shows, thank you so much to everyone that listened into last week's show, um, you know, about. What was it about, love? Uh, legendary British Asian traits. That's the <laughs> That's, one. Do you know what? It's fucking odd. The older I get, fam, like, this is where you're supposed to help me out. No. You're a co-host for a reason. You, to see you squirm is much more fun. How is that helping our podcast, the podcast that we run together? I don't know, but it helps me. Do you know what it is? That's the thing. This is not like a, do you know what I mean? We're supposed to be a team and you look, you always look out for number one. You always look out for yourself. That's why you won radio the day, didn't mention anything about the Native Immigrants podcast and just put me down over two or three of those questions. Oh, whatever. And whereas I... Between I, you and my dad complaining about how I was putting you down, you'd think that you lot are the only things that I have to talk about. But these are things that, that relate to us, the Native Immigrants podcast. You were only there because of this podcast. Don't forget that I gave you this platform and then you enabled you to you go on radio. You gave me this platform? Yeah. This, do you know what? Get fucked. <laughs> Quite frankly, you gave me this wow. platform. There wow. wouldn't be a podcast if there wasn't for the two of us because not everybody wants to hear just you. Yeah, but I... want to hear me as well. So appreciate my contribution to this. Thank you very much. All right. I will, what I will appreciate is you pushing us a little bit more, talking about us, us a little bit more on social media. Some of us have got day jobs that are really busy. Oh, wow. So what about me then? I'm busy. I still do these things. I still do my part of the bargain. I still I still play my role on this with hosting and doing all the social media stuff. Yeah, and but like, you love it all. I just like to talk into the microphone and then I want everyone to listen to it. So I do all the hard work and you <laughs> get all the plaudits. Yes. And it's not like you you script my bit. All of this is as well pure, do. you know, Jyoti magic. <laughs> Jyoti magic. Yeah. This is more like black magic is what you bring from your side. I'll put juju in your, in your, <laughs> in your roti next time. <laughs> juju my roti. Yeah. Is that like a new thing? Could you like, you know, a new, new seasoning? If you want black magic, I'll put juju in your roti. You haven't made me roti for ages. Make it yourself then. All right, I will. I will do. Gotta get my mum on call in a bit. See if you can sort me out. Yeah, little prince. Told you. Um, right, anyway. Um, look at this chick just fucking judging me. Um, right, so yeah, thank you so much to everyone that listened to last week's show. Um, and as always, which I've mentioned his name on numerous occasions uh, when talking about the show because he interacts with us all the time and that's why we love him. Ada Dapper Dan. Um, you know, we were talking about British Asian traits and uh, he got back to us and said... Now, this is an absolute brand new one. I've never heard this one before, but big up. He said he used to take shalwars to sleep in on school trips and tell everyone that his uncle bought MC Hammer pants for him from America. <laughs> i tell you what, though. Shalwar is really comfortable to sleep in. Yeah, but would you take it to, on school trips? No. Yeah, but this is what this is the thing. These are what other people across the whole How UK... How did he not get beaten up? Just do the hammer dance, isn't it? Well, this is true. If you know how to do it properly. You know what I mean? Can you do the hammer dance, Jojo? No. You know what? In the other day and stuff, me and a couple of mates, we were trying to learn all the the different, like, we we did the floss, obviously. Mm. And then we did the shoot dance. And you know, there's that other one as well and stuff. We'd had, like, YouTube tutorials teaching us how to do these dances. And uh, we were sat there, the three of us. Can you do the running man? That's a that's a classic. Jezebel. Yeah, I know, but can you do it? Yes, I have to get you to prove it. I'm doing it point. right now. Look, people, I'm doing it right now for Jojo B. No, he's sitting in his ass right now. I'm doing it right now. 
<laughs> that sounded like something else, didn't it? <laughs> yeah, it did. He's sitting in his ass, just panting into the microphone. Um, I went to school disco when I was seven for um <laughs> for doing the um thingy, the running man. Yeah, I was about seven or eight, I think. Shit, is that the last time you ran for anything? I was doing the running man, and I won a lollipop. <laughs> I would hate that. So you got to do all that effort because obviously I've seen pictures of you as a youth. And, Shut um, up. It's 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 fine. You've progressed it wasn't that so well. Big at that point, actually, that was a kind of a smaller time. Oh, okay. It was the intervening years. Yeah, it was when I hit like eleven onwards. Oh, uh, okay. Really quite chubby. The teens, isn't it? That's another show. What? What's another show? Like dealing with weight. Yeah. Okay. Body issues. Every week we come up with uh, new concepts for new shows and stuff, and some day, some weeks we kind of really struggle. And today we've come up three new topics just off the last like. 20 minutes we'll have to listen back and write them down so we don't forget yeah we're blatantly gonna forget so, okay so what we need you listeners to do is if you're listening to the show remind us this time next week uh that you wish which topics that we spoke about already that we're going to discuss yeah. and we'll do them for a future show and if you have any other ideas please do let us know yeah absolutely we want people to let us know about any suggestions for topics um, the topic for this week is actually a suggestion, which I'll tell you about later on in the show. Um, but we do want to hear from people about what they'd like to hear. What would you like to hear about things happening in your community uh, and feel that we need to discuss and we need to address? Because um, otherwise, we're just chatting shit about the stuff that we want to chat about. Yeah. We want to know that you want to hear it as well. Exactly. Uh, so what's been happening this week? Uh, first of all, I want to big up Riz MC or Riz Ahmed. As uh, most people know him, he'd always be Riz MC to me. It's very old school of us to call him that. Yeah, yeah. I think people from a certain age group will just call him Riz MC because that's how we've always known him. Um, But obviously now globally he's known as Riz Ahmed. Uh, But he was on the cover of British GQ last week, which I thought was a massive look. It is, yes, very much so. Yeah. To have a, a British Asian guy who's gone and broke Hollywood. Yeah. And done such big things. Like getting into the Star Wars universe. Yeah. To then actually be on the front cover of British GQ. Yep. Big up Riz. Well Keep done. Keep pushing the envelope. Yeah, absolutely. We've been watching uh, Nadia's new show. What's it called? Family Favourites. Nadia's Family Favourites. Yeah. Um, you know, because we're always at to support our fellow British Asians on TV when it's something positive. And yeah. this is something very positive, you know. You should follow her on social media. She's amazing. Oh, really? She calls out her trolls so much. Like, she has no shame in retweeting and just, like, answering back with some witty quip. Okay. Yeah, it's honestly... Oh, big up Nadia. The things that she's achieved in the last, like, two to three years has pretty much been astounding, you know, from winning Bake Off to getting two shows of her own on BBC um, and making a cake for the Queen. You know, things like... What do you think of that cake, by the way? (laughs) If we're being brutally honest. If I'm being brutally honest, bless her. It probably wasn't the best finish to the cake that it could have been. Yeah. But the fact that a young British Bangladeshi woman was asked to make a cake for the Queen because she won Great British Bake Off is huge. Yeah. And so even if maybe the edges are a little bit dodge, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Because I couldn't do any better, so... No, exactly. You know, yeah. like, I think most people wouldn't be able to do better. And I'm sure it tasted amazing. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and we have to support, you know, you know, we have to encourage more of these kind of things happening. Um, absolutely. Pe- people within our community, male or female, to progress within pop culture, I think. is, And we've spoke about that previously on our second show. 
And she's a great epitome of that. Yeah. And I love her cooking show because she doesn't make things everything like Asian. Yeah. She doesn't Asianify it all. She just makes things that people want to eat. And and in this series she tries to do it in a way that's easy to do if you've got a you know, one or two kids or more and you need to cook for a family. How to do how to make something lovely quickly. Yeah, no, definitely. Um Although, you know, some of the the remarks she gets when she makes things for people all over the UK is always, oh, this is really different. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. She does get that a lot, but then they still carry on, like, scoffing their faces. So yeah, true. can't taste bad. No, no, exactly. Um, and she's a media darling now, so I think whatever she does now going forward and stuff like that, she's always going to be looked at in a real positive light. Yeah, she's a brilliant example for the British Asian community, I think. Yeah we're not though jojo v because uh on this last week's episode she was uh, i can't remember what she was making she was eating and then she quipped saying uh it's got to be so big it doesn't even fit in my mouth and both of us like <laughs> the problem like, the problem with us is our minds are always going to be in the gutter so shame on us for cracking up um, i'm sorry but i think half of the population would have cracked up at that one yeah yeah um and lastly, I guess the other thing, which is the big thing this week, is Love Island. How, what do you think of Love Island this season, Georgia V? I've literally not watched any of it. I think our niece tried to make us watch some of it. Yeah. Um, at the very, very beginning. And we watched like half an episode and just went, no, this no. not for us. I, I, yeah, because last year is where it really like popped off. And, you know, loads of people around us were watching it. Social media were talking about it incessantly. Um, I just, it's just, I'm maybe I'm just not the target audience. You know, people in, people in my age group aren't really the target yeah, market. I don't think I'm the target market either. Although I, I see I people. I should just clarify as well that our niece is like 25. She's not, she's not like an eight-year-old watching No, this. I've seen people like all in their 30s. Actually, even some people in their 40s that have also been, really been into love. I think if, it's one of those shows that seems to get like universal love in the UK. But I, I watched I think half of an episode once and like it really felt like I needed my intelligence tested. It's mindless, isn't it? So if you don't mind watching mindless TV with people who've got nothing of value to say, trying to get it on with each other, then great. Yeah. But, and and, and I understand why people want to watch that and just switch their minds off and just be entertained but it, I don't know. I just can't get into that kind of nonsense. Uh, it's not for me. It, yes, unfortunately not for me. As much as I'd love to see scantily clad women, um, you know, prancing around in a beautiful location, um, it still doesn't do enough for me. You know? And also, there's no bloody Asians in it. Well, this is the point I was going to make, Jojo B. Where are the upper in this show? I don't think there's ever been any Asians in it in any of the series. Well, there was actually. I think in the first, or not the first season, one of the last few seasons a few years ago, there was a girl called Malin who was actually, I think she's half Swedish, half Sri Lankan. Oh, okay. Um, you know, so she's been the only Asian that I know of. Uh, but this season specifically, there was, I think there was only one black girl. Didn't um, she leave? She did leave. Um, but where are the South Asians? Um, did they try to, you know, apply for the show and didn't get through or... Um, or or, or, our, or our, is our culture and our families holding them back from going on a show like this? They had this? hundreds and thousands of applications. <laughs> yeah. I think. So there must have been some Asians that applied. I'm assuming that's the case. Um, I'm know. guessing no one's mom's going to be particularly happy, boy or girl, if if they end up on there. Yeah, because like, we've known through Love Island that people have got it on 
Like people have it, sex on TV. Exactly. I never um, understood why people do that. Well, you know, five minutes of fame. All everyone, because you see the amount of people that watch this show, so they have clearly got a massive audience. And you know, when you're hungry for fame, well, good luck to you if you want to do it. I suppose. Yeah. But I don't want to. No, neither do I. And luckily, we're already Love Island matched. Are we? Yeah. No. Can we unmatch? Unmatch. Is there such a thing? Can you unmatch from a Love Island thing? Or I don't know. <laughs> but you're not unmatching anyone. Well, yes, I'm stuck. But we're hoping you'll stick with this show. Because on the other side, we're going to be talking about women empowerment. And are men doing enough to support their women into achieving greatness in their careers? See you on the other side, people. Welcome back to the second half of the Native Immigrants Podcast. I'm Swami Barakas. And I'm Jojo B. And in this half of the show, we're going to be talking about women empowerment. Now, this was a suggestion from a family friend of mine, Mittal Joshi. Thank you so much for sending this through. Um, and her question is, why guys need to stand by their women? The female empowerment movement has seen a lot of women show support to one another. Glass ceilings are being broken and women are shattering them all over the place. It's a new age for women. However, while women are supporting women, where are the men? Are men really supporting their partners achieve greatness and be the best version of themselves? And if not, what's holding them back? Jojo B, mm -hmm. are men doing enough to support their women? I think in general, no. Okay, controversial. Um, I think there are obviously some cases where, and you can't discount these cases where men obviously do, you know, I'm in one of those kinds of relationships where my husband supports me and my work. Um, but, you know, I think overall in general, especially within the South Asian community, it doesn't happen enough. I think there are expectations of women to not only kind of look after the household and all those traditional values, but also to go and earn some money. And what happens is that pressure is applied, but very little support is given. Um, yeah, no, absolutely. Um, I was just reading an article on Desi Blitz um, and a quote from there actually says, such attitudes are embedded within the cultural psyche. Traditional values and belief derived from a mixture of culture and faith have always enforced the role of representation of women to become a loving and submissive wife and a doting mother, to be essentially into the scene or heard. This is the ideal that all women are supposed to succumb to. Um, so it has been, uh, you know, culturally, the women are always looked at as the, the nurturers within the household, being the dutiful wife, doing right by your mother-in-law and father-in-law, and being a good mother while the husband is the one out there doing the work, being the provider as such, um, progressing in his career um, while the wife maintains everything happening within the house. Uh, now, that's always been the, say, I can't even say the traditional. Historically, that's always been the case within our communities. 
obviously we're living in a different time now. We're living in a different age. We're living in an age of change. One of the things with the show is trying to instill change or trying to educate people into changing. I think we're living in a different culture in this country. So the Asians in this country live within a different culture. If you go back to the motherland countries like India or Pakistan or Bangladesh or Sri Lanka, actually that still that attitude still pervades where a woman is meant to look after the household look after her children look after her in-laws and her family and all of that and be you know the nurturer and the and the housemaid basically Mm. i think that still continues i don't think korea is pushed as much over there as it is here but the the pressure that we have as women as south asian women over here is that we have to do it all so we have to do all of that plus we're expected to go to university, get a good degree, go and get a good job. But then we have to put our career second to our husbands as soon as we get married. You know, well, it's all right if you don't go back to work after you have had a kid or yes, have a child. But then don't worry about the fact that you have to pay thousands and thousands of pounds a year for nursery. Deal with it, basically, because you have to have a child, but you still have to work because it's impossible for most households to have only one income coming in and cover their mortgage and cover all their other expenses. Yeah, I think that's what that's one thing that's very, um, you know, very apparent, obviously, with our relationship. You know, we've obviously got a mortgage, yes, um, you know, a London mortgage a, and, a, and a London mortgage at that, um, you know, and we've always made sure that we've tried to maintain a, a 50-50 household, um, 50-50 on our mortgage, um, 50-50 in terms of our daily life and chores, Um, things that we do around the house yeah expenditure um in everything pretty much and i think we're lucky because i say lucky but i mean we are able to dictate our own rules because we have our own space Hmm. there is no family living here with us you know i don't have my family here he doesn't have his family here they come and visit us and we go and visit them obviously but actually what happens within the the walls of our property or between me and my husband and we dictate those rules yeah yeah absolutely you know it's not it's not dictated by my mom or my dad or your mom or your dad Hmm. that's that's the difficult thing with people i know a lot of um sons and daughters um after marriage that still live with their their parents whether it's living with your actual parents or living with your mother-in-law or father-in-law and um the dynamics of a household can be very difficult um, because you're, you're you're asked to still be a wife to your son, but also to be that daughter-in-law within the house. Now, example like you, Jojo B, you lived out for almost 10 years of your life. If we'd have got married and I decided that we wanted to say, stay with my parents, the, yeah. the dynamics in our house would have been very, very difficult for someone like you because you've led a very independent life. Yeah, I can't live with my own parents. Never mind. And I always said this, if I can't live with my own parents, I definitely can't live with anyone else's. But we did. We did live with your mum and dad for a few months yeah. before we had got the keys for this place. And um, and it was an adjustment, not only because I had lived on my own for 10 years, but also because I came from a different background. So I'm Punjabi and I'd gone into a Gujarati household. I am come from a non-religious household. I'd gone into a religious household. I'd gone into a household where there'd never been any other girls before other than your mum and your grand- and your grandma. There, there had been no other like younger female members of the family. So 
no one really knew what to do with me. <laughs> and I didn't really know how to be because my mom's always said, you know, you go into your in-laws house and you treat them with respect. And obviously I did all of that. But, you know, you have to try and find your own place within that household. And I'm coming home from work at eight o'clock every night because the commute was really long. And I'm shattered because I got up and had to leave the house at like, we used to leave at like seven o'clock in the morning or whatever yeah. to get to work. So that's that's been my day. And then to come home and and to, you know, your mum was amazing because she used to, you know, have the food ready and stuff because she was at home. But then to feel the thing, like, I felt like I was disappointing the family in a way because I wasn't able to help as much as I should the weekend would come and I'd be just be shattered from all of the from all of the commuting and so but then I would feel this kind of you know guilt for not getting up really early in the morning to start cleaning or to start doing all this housework because I was brought up with the with the mentality of you have to do that that's the expectation of you it doesn't matter if you go to work all day because my mum had to run her household even though she ran a shop but the thing is, my mom's in-laws were, you know, 3,000 miles away in India. Yeah, yeah, she yeah. was over here and, and you know, they were over there. So the expectation, she didn't feel that pressure, I guess. Because again, like us now, she had her own space. Yeah. So yeah. she could she could dictate the rules. And I think, you know, if I had stayed, if I'm really, really honest, if we had stayed in that household, something would have had to give. And I think something would have cracked and I, I, that would have been really sad because I, I love the fact that I have a very good relationship with my in-laws. Yeah. Um, and I think we've maintained that very, very good relationship because we I live mean, in yeah, our own space. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But there's, there's so much pressure on women to do all of it and to have everything. And sometimes they don't get the backing that they need from their husbands within the households because when you live, when a guy lives within his household, the household that he's grown up in, you just carry on acting the way that you carry, that you, you always have done. You know, you carry on being you and being yourself in that house. It's the new wife that comes in that has to try and figure out where she fits and how she's supposed to act, not only as a wife, as a newlywed wife, who wants to do all the lovey-dovey stuff that you'd want to do with your husband, but also then having to be the daughter-in-law, but then also trying to maintain that career or even starting a new a new job because you've moved to another area because your husband's not from the city that you were living in. But previously, there's all this stuff that happens. And then sometimes the guy, without knowing it, because he's carrying on as he normally always did before, as he always was in his household, he's just continuing his life. Um, He doesn't, he doesn't realize that he's not being as supportive as he should be. Yeah, yeah. And I don't think that it's, you know, I don't think it's a conscious thing. I don't think he's like, huh, fuck her, I'm not going to give her any support. I think it's a kind of just being oblivious to the fact that it's needed. Yeah, um, seen that in numerous instances. Um, and I think for men, from a, from a male perspective, this is not me speaking, obviously, but I think sometimes the way men look um, at their wives progressing greater in their careers than them there can be a it can be a slight it can be quite an inferiority complex like you mean like earning more or getting to a more senior level yeah you know because i've always kind of thought that if i see you progress in your career that's great for us it's great for you yeah it's great amazing for you and it's progression in your career uh in the field that you wanted to um to progress in uh but really it's it's a win for us because it just means that we're able to have uh, a better life because of it 
Exactly. Know? If I earn more money, that means that we earn more money. Yeah, exactly. It's not like this is mine and you don't get to, you know, have a sniff of it at all at any point. Yeah. You know, like we share our household wealth. Exactly. But then not every household is like that. No, absolutely not. Men have looked at themselves as providers, which I said before. And uh, to see, you know, their wives becoming that more than them, it could, you know, hit the self-esteem. It could, you know, hit your confidence or hit your, you know, machismo, I guess. But that's just outdated, backwards kind of thought process that a man should always be the breadwinner. Yeah. It's just nonsense in this day and age. Yeah, especially when you've got so many massive commitments, debts, responsibilities. You know, if you've got kids, if you've got a mortgage as big as it is, as big as we have here in London, if you've got all those added financial burdens, then surely for both of you to progress going forward, it needs both of your collective finances in order for you both to move forward. I've never understood I've never understood that logic. I don't understand why your self-esteem would come from you earning more than your wife. Yeah. Because that's a really fragile sensitive self-esteem thing that you've got going on there. It's very low self-esteem if it's based on the fact that oh you know if my wife starts earning a few grand more than me then I'm worthless. That's pointless. That's a terrible way to think and that's and it's you it's been drilled into you by you know, the community, by the Asian community, by your family, by your parents. And it's the wrong way to think. Well, I think it is a lot of it is drilled in by your parents because that's what that's all they've seen. You know, let's be honest, most of our households and people around us within our communities, that's been the case where the, the father has been the main provider as such. And a lot of the time, the wives have had to take kind of not lesser paid jobs, but sometimes having to work part time in order to look after kids, sometimes look after their parents, um, you know, within the household itself. So you've got three generations of people within that household where the mother is basically being the carer for all three generations. And so they've had to cut their own career path or, you know, having to stop their progression within a field that they would have started in their 20s or early 30s before getting married. And, um, you know, and they've never really got back to that. They've they've just left that point there. And well, the thing is, is that my dad did a lot of the bringing up of us as well. Like my mum did a lot of the, you know, making the roti and, you know, and all that kind of stuff. And then she got us to do the housework, me and my brother. But like she, um, she shared some of it with my dad. For instance, when I was born, I think I've mentioned this before, when I was born, um, a couple of months later, my dad was made redundant. So my mum went back to work after three months and my dad was the one who looked after me and changed my nappies and, you know, did all of that stuff. That partly explains why I'm so close to my dad, but my my dad had no problem with doing any of that stuff because at the end of the day, one of them had to look after their kids. And if one had a job, a steady job that they could keep some money coming in, you did what you had to do to make ends meet. And there was no shame in that. You know, the shame would have been as if, if my mum had said, if my dad had said, my mum can't go back to work, but then he wasn't working as well. And then their kids missed out. You know, their kids didn't get fed. Yeah. That would have been the real shame. And that's how my parents looked at it. So I think for me, I had an example of actually my mum on paper, at least 
was a part it was 50 50 partner with my dad yeah sometimes yeah. my dad made some business decisions without my mom's without consulting my mom as much as he should have done yeah of course but um he soon learned not to do that so <laughs> no, exactly. <laughs> you know like because they were in it together and it was their money that's 50 50 their money yeah no well exactly that's how it should be um you know both of that generation and our generation um, but i've also seen you know uh, examples of you know, women kind of getting married or getting together with men because of they're in a great job or they're financially well stable uh, and they're in a good place uh, that way in life. And they've got married because they feel that they don't need to be the career woman, don't need to do the the career path because their husbands will just provide it all for them. And if they can find the guys who have low self-esteem based on their wife's income, then... Uh that's a perfect match. You've got the guy on one hand who doesn't want his wife earning more than him. You've got the woman on the other on the other hand who can't be asked to work and doesn't and wants a rich man. Put them together, the happy marriage. Yeah. But I also know of examples of loads of girls that are or women that are still single because they don't they choose things that are more important to them than money and financial st- stability because they're already financially stable. I've got women in my life who have got amazing jobs, you know, like earning a lot of money. They have got their fancy car and they've bought themselves a house and they've got money in the bank. And so they don't need to rely on a man for financial stability. All they want is someone who's going to be a partner in life in terms of emotional stability. And they want someone who's going to love them as much as they love them. You know, like that's that's all they're looking for. They're looking for a, somebody that they can share life with rather than worry about money with. Yeah, but the problems with that sometimes is, and this is not for me talking, but there's just a general consensus that men can sometimes feel not only threatened, but intimidated. But that's not the woman's fault. That's not, not the woman's, woman's problem. Fault. No, She shouldn't then, you know, that that guy needs to take a long, hard look at himself. Yeah, no, absolutely. But that's that's the that's the reason, unfortunately, which is a real sad reflection on today's society. A lot of women are in that same place, uh, are single because of that very reason. Um, And it's like I said, it's it's a no win situation because you want to progress in your career. You want to be successful. You want to be financially stable. You're doing all that, but you're unable to get into committed, loving relationships because men feel intimidated by you, intimidated by your success, thinking that you're progressing so far ahead of where they are in their life that actually this is not going to work for me. I don't even know what to say to that other than that's really sad that that's the way that's the way that so many men will think. I'm sure there's a big chunk of men who don't think of, think in that way at all. I know you don't. Definitely not. Um you know, because I said I had that same conversation with my parents. I was like, they were try- constantly trying to set me up with people. You know, for ten years they were like, this is a kind of parade of men that they kind of put in front of me of like trying to set me up and get me married off. And none of them really understood why I lived in London on my own, why I was, you know, like, h- how do you survive? And you know, you you know, you have to pay rent and all this kind of stuff. And I was like, look, I do all of this because I want to be independent. And yeah. they just didn't appreciate that independent streak in me and they didn't you know value it or see the point of it and didn't understand why 
you know, I lived away from my parents and just thought I would be a troublemaker in their household, basically. Yeah. And like, I went to my mum and I said, look, I don't need to marry someone for the sake of getting married. I don't have any need to be married. You know, I can look after myself. I can go on holidays myself. I pay my rent and I kept a roof over my head from, you know, the age of 21 where I was earning 11 grand and living in London all the way up, you know, to me being 30 and earning six figures. Well, not not quite so much as that, but a lot more than 11 grand. You know, I I could kind of get myself around if I wanted to, if I wanted to go to Newcastle or if I wanted to go on holiday or if I wanted to do whatever I wanted to do, I could do, go and do it without having to answer to anyone. So I was like, I'm living a good life. Yeah. Why the hell do I need to get married? My mum was like, well, because you'll, you'll be alone. And I was like, well, that, yeah, exactly. I don't, I want to have companionship in my life. So don't show me a parade of guys just because they've got a good job because their mentality is not the same as mine. And, that, and it took me a long time. It took me until I got to you, my love. Yeah. yeah. Um, to find somebody who was okay with how I lived my life and, and appreciated the fact that I was so independent and that I hadn't relied on anybody. Or, you know, and I had my own very small amount of wealth at that point. Yeah, yeah. It's a sad situation because, you know, we've spoken a few episodes ago about um, you know, about marriages and within our communities and that a marriage shouldn't have to define you, you know, at, at any stage in your life. You know, your your health and happiness and going forward is what should define you and not having a man or a woman to share that with as such. Um, and, you know, in this instance, it's basically the same thing. You know, we're talking about how men are not, you know, are not supporting their partners and stuff. But, you know, you're better off being in a, in a in a single situation where you're happy, healthy in life and things are progressing with you, with you in a career than by being married to somebody who's constantly going to bring you down and is constantly going to put you down and constantly going to um, stop you from achieving what you need to achieve in life, you know, through your career. And, appre- and not appreciating the, your achievements. Yeah. You know, when you do well in something you expect your partner to be the first person to praise you for it or to appreciate it or celebrate with you. And if they can't do that, if they can only kind of go, well, that made me feel shit because you're better than me or you've done something better than me or you've achieved something more than me. Or if they tell you that, well, that doesn't matter. It's not even that important. It's not even that great, is it really? That's that's not the kind of person, that's poisonous. That's not the kind of person that you should be around personally, I think. Hmm. Because in a real relationship... And in a really happy relationship and a supportive environment, that person would say to you, well done. You know, you've done a really, really good job. I'm really proud of you. I'm really proud to be with you and stand by your side while you're, you know, having these achievements. Yeah. Experiencing all of this good stuff. No, definitely. Um, Well, just as an example of some women have achieved some great stuff. Um, some successful British Asian women in the UK. Okay. Um, you know, we've got to mention someone like uh, Baroness Warsi, obviously former yeah. Conservative MP. Um, I know you're not a big fan, neither am I, Preeti Patel. Um, say what you like about her. She has progressed, you know, quite you know, extensively in the political field. She's got very far, but I wonder at what expense. But yes, anyway. Yeah, you know, it is what it is. Yeah. Um, but also someone like Bushra Nazir, who was the first Muslim female head teacher in the UK, working at Plashett School in London uh, before retiring in 2012. I think Amazing it's achievement. Awesome achievement. Yeah. Um, you know, also Roxana Fiaz, who's the mayor of Newham and was actually the first directly elected female mayor for any London borough ever. It's brilliant. Which is She's amazing. Awesome. Um, and we mentioned Nadia previously on the, on the first half of the show. 
Uh, and someone like Michelle Hussein, who's a BBC news presenter and journalist. Um, so th- these there are there are instances of successful British Asian women in the UK, and you'll find that a lot of these cases, the men in their lives have been extremely supportive in them achieving what they need to achieve, um, and you know being the best version of themselves. Um, but also to add to that, um, the Asian power list of of last year. Um, there was actually a shift from the traditional roll call of male industrialists to celebrate the role of Asian women in politics, law, and arts. Okay. Um, Shailes Solanke, executive editor of the GG2 Power List, said progress had been made in the proportion of women on the list, 25%, although he acknowledged that more needed to be done. Uh, among those were Gina Miller, who won a Brexit legal challenge against the UK government. Uh, her parents are actually Guyanese of Indian descent. And uh, Baroness Sriti Vadera, who is the chairperson of Santander UK, who is the second highest woman on the list. Um, now, I was looking at the first list in 2011, and it was actually only four women in the top 20. Are you kidding? Yeah, just four women. And one of them was Mira Sayal, who was actually sharing that spot with Sanjeev Bhaskar. Oh, for God's sake. But he, you know, one thing that actually uh, was actually quite interesting is the fact that he said that that it was only um, that the progression had been made in the proportion of women on, on the list from this last year, 25%. So really not a lot really has changed because if you're looking at the first list, it would have been four out of 20 and now it's five out of 20. I think it's just a reflection of society as a whole. Women are still struggling to break that glass ceiling. And I know we're hearing more and more about that happening and that, you know, there is a change happening. I'm sure there is. But it's still not massively evident, I don't think. And so then also, if you add into that, that people of colour are finding it difficult to break that glass ceiling, which is even lower than the one for, you know, white women, basically. Mm. Um, it's then And then you add in being a woman of colour. Actually, it's harder and harder and the ceiling gets higher and higher for us. You know, it's difficult for us to kind of break through and get to those higher echelons of any industry. Um, you know, I've worked in TV, I've worked in radio, I've worked in magazines, I've worked in um, music, and now I'm working on the corporate side. And in all of those places, I've seen very few women of colour at high level jobs. Hmm. You know, like it's it's still mostly middle aged, middle class white men in their boys club, and, you know, and they're promoting their friends and they're promoting other white men. Very rarely do you see people of colour or women or women of colour in particular getting to those high levels. Hmm. And I think that list is probably just very reflective of what's really going on in life. Yeah. Do you feel that you were, I know we've mentioned this before in previous shows, but how much do you feel you were held back from progressing in the fields that you were working in? I think it definitely played its part. I think me being... It's hard because you can kind of go, right, well, I didn't get anywhere because I'm a woman or I didn't get anywhere because I'm a woman yeah, of colour, you know, and and so and I, you know, maybe it was because of my own achievements, actually, that I wasn't getting that far. And I'll never know. But that's the thing. We're left never knowing. We're left thinking, is it because we're not good enough or is it because of the colour of our skin or is it because of our gender or is it all of the above? 
you know mm. you're never sure and that's the thing it should always be about your achievements and about your capabilities of doing the work and you should never have to question the other two things you should never have to think about your gender or your color when it comes to work so the fact that i have to sit there and kind of analyze it and think which one is it yeah or which combination is it you know it, it's just a really sad state of affairs yeah we shouldn't have to play the race card in today's society i've always felt um it's easy to say oh yeah i'm held back because i'm asian or i'm held back because it's not of- playing the race card i've realized this as i've got older the more comfortable i've got with this is that actually it's a true thing it's a tr- it's a true reflection of what's happening you know it's not a race card when actually people see your skin color and whether subconsciously or consciously they don't put you in the running for a job mm, yeah and it happens. It's, it is obviously happening because, you know, the diversity statistics in the workplace prove it. Yeah, yeah So absolutely. you have to then go out of your way to put in measures to ensure that you're employing people of all, of all ethnic backgrounds. And then you get people going, well, that's, you know, positive discrimination and it's really wrong. Mm, yeah. <laughs> so you can't win. There is a no-win situation, yeah. Otherwise, we'd have seen a lot more women in these lists. Um not just Asian powerless, but, you know, powerless for the whole of the UK in general. Um, but there is also the Asian Women of Achievement Awards, which was actually founded by Pinky Lilani in 1999, which celebrates multicultural Britain and the contribution of diverse cultures and talents to UK society. They celebrate Asian women across the UK and across industries who are making a valuable and important contribution to British life. The awards play a key role in redefining the contribution of Asian women, and informing a new positive pro-diversity debate. It's been uh, going for 18 years now. And Pinky Lulani has actually said, when I started this project, my hope was to spotlight talented but often unsung Asian women. Today, our vision is that these awards should be the preeminent platform for celebrating the contribution of diverse cultures and talents to UK society. Um, now, these are a great uh, awards. Um, but again, I, I kind of feel that we're highlighting these things within ourselves, within our own. Yeah. Whereas, you know, the achievements of Asian women and to celebrate them in how they've progressed in their fields should be done a lot more universally. Yeah, it should be a kind of wider society appreciation of everyone of all colours who's done who's done that. And they, you know, as Asians, we should be recognised. And But I think, you know, society is still failing to do that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, as women, we're, you know, we're not seen in the in the in the best light or the you know, we're not kind of appreciated as much as we should be. And then as women of colour, it's even harder, as I said earlier on. It's just one of those things that you put your gender plus your colour in there. It just makes life much, much harder. It does indeed. Um uh I'll put a last note from uh Ravinda Rendawa, who wrote an article on Huffington Post about being a British Asian woman. She's actually a writer herself. And she said, we're not seen as intellectuals or philosophers, as writers who explore, create and challenge. No matter how imaginative, well-plotted and far-ranging a work may be, if the critic's view itself is veiled by the Asian woman stereotype, there's not going to be much chance of critical engagement. Um, Sad reflection uh, in her particular industry. But also, I think that's the case for a lot of Asian women working in numerous industries throughout the UK. Um, progressing within their field is an amazing achievement. How much of it is done with the support 
of the men in their life, I'm not wholeheartedly sure. But I can say this. I know that there is progress being made. I look at our marriage, and our marriage is very much a 50-50 marriage. And that, that encompasses everything, whether it's stuff happening within our house, but also financially, um, and just decisions that we make in life going forward. It's done together. This podcast is a podcast co-hosted by the both of us. And so we'd like to think that the new age of British Asian couple are people like us, you know, people that want to see their partners succeed and see their partners progress. Um, unfortunately, I can't say that's the case for a lot of people in the UK because I have seen numerous instances of men being intimidated um, and being threatened by their wives or girlfriends progressing in their careers and their fields because uh, they feel inhibited themselves. You know, they feel they're not being the provider as their parents' generation once did. But we're living in a different age. You know, we're changing the culture. British Asian culture is only as much as we can define it. And I think our generation is the people that need to change that culture going forward because our next generation are always a reflection on the way we live our lives and the way we bring them up. And they don't want to see a household where the father is doing the providing work while the mother is stuck indoors being the carer. Because I don't think that's a true reflection of where our society needs to progress moving forward. If that is your household setup, though, and that's how you're happy with it, then great. You know, like that's what you both wanted. Fabulous. We're not here to judge anyone's, you know, household. But if you're a woman who wants to progress and you're a woman who is doing very, very well, then never feel like you have to do your achievements down. Never play anything down you know what there's not enough of us getting recognized for the great things that we do so fuck it go out and you say i did this and i'm really happy you know what i will sing my praises that i worked in industries that other people have you know would kill to work in and i'm really proud of that and i when i have to or when i want to i will sing my own praises and i will not let anybody else put me down or tell me that I'm bragging or tell me that I you know I'm embellishing or whatever because those are my achievements in life and I'm proud of them so be proud of what you do and don't let anybody make you feel shit for it because you earned it preach Jojo B well and men sort your fucking lives out if that's how you're feeling uh we will do <laughs> um well this it is a time of women empowerment and the Native Immigrants Podcast wholeheartedly support it. Right, that is the end of another episode of the Native Immigrants Podcast. An announcement. We will now be back in two weeks' time. And why is that, Jojo B? Because we're going on holiday. We are indeed. It's another holiday this year for the Native Immigrants. Last one of the year. Last one of the year. And why are we going on holiday, Jojo B? Because someone is celebrating a very important birthday. <sighs> and who is that someone? Barracuda. Yeah, it is. Big birthday coming up. And so I'm treating my lovely husband to a lovely, lovely holiday. And you know why? Because I earned my own money and I have the money to be able to do that. And he gets to reap the benefits of that. There you go. So we are the most classic example of how progress is being made in a in a loving relationship where the lady 
is also earning uh, and providing in this instant. But I am willing to take it all on because I'm a saint. <laughs> um, but we are going to go to Santorini. We are. And have an awesome time. Yes, we are. Um, because it will help me get over the sadness of how old I'm going to be. And I was 100% in charge of booking everything. So obviously everything's going to be lavish. So if there's any complaining from this trip, it won't be from Jojo B. Because if I hear a peep out of her after she organized the whole <laughs> effing thing, I'm literally going to get the first flight back. And Unless I'm not getting my money's worth. Well, then you need to take that up with like the people down there. Yeah. Don't take it out on me. I won't. I'll take it out on them. Don't worry. You fucking better. Because <laughs> it's my birthday and I'm going to exploit it for all it's worth. It's finally my time. Because no, normally for the rest of the year, it's all about Jojo B. For one week. I mean, I don't know which world he's living in when he thinks it's all about me. For one week, it's going to be about me. And I am going to lap it up as much as possible. You deserve it, my love. Thank you so much. Um, but yes, we will be back in two weeks. There won't be a show next week. So we will see you all in mid-August now. Uh, if you miss us, go back and listen to some of our old shows and refresh yourself on what we do. Check our social media while we'll be putting up pictures of beautiful Sandorini yes, and indeed. us with tans. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, follow us on all our social media platforms to check those all out. And that is it for this week on the Native Immigrants Podcast. I am Swami Barakas. And I'm Jojo B. And we'll see you all in two weeks, people. Peace. See ya.